0: Welcome to That's Awesome ID. My name is Leslie Early, and each week I will be speaking with a different guest and learning about one thing they think is awesome in the field of instructional design. Okay, today I am super excited to be joined by the awesome Kristen Torrance. Kristen is a learning experience designer who has designed learning solutions ranging from educational games to mobile applications to e-learning and instructional-led training, and also virtual reality. So you've you've kind of done it all, haven't you, Kristen?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd say so.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, and I'm also super excited for this episode because we're talking about something that is somewhat mysterious-sounding, <laughs> at least to me, and that is stealth assessment assessment for immersive environments. So I think people may be familiar with immersive environments, maybe not so much self-assessment, but before we jump into that, why don't you take a couple of minutes and introduce yourself?
1: Um, Yeah, so I'm a learning experience designer. I've been in the instructional design field now for about seven years. And I started in the K-12 space designing ed tech for middle school and elementary school. And I recently switched over to a corporate enterprise space just about a year ago or less than a year ago.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, and so I, I think I saw you were doing game-based um, kind of learning experiences in K-12 and that sort of got carried over into what you're doing now.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was designing a science game for um, middle school and elementary school students at uh, the company I was at before and was always, you know, super interested in game based learning and from that experience, you know, had had the opportunity to really try out some virtual reality games, Mm. which just blew my mind and, um, had that interest actually had brought me into really the role that I'm in now, which is a learning experience designer for a company called tailspin and they create XR solutions for enterprise clients.
0: Very cool. Okay. So that's kind of the space you're in now is this XR space. So, Mm -hmm. Let's dive into today, today's topic because it's it's sort of around this concept of stealth assessment, which I had never heard of before, before you told me about it. Um, so I'm assuming people who are listening maybe don't know what this is. So do you want to go give a little definition of what is stealth assessment and how did
1: you become interested in it? Yeah. So um, just to kind of you a little bit more of how I kind of stumbled onto self-assessment. So uh, when I was designing for um, those those educational games, I really dove into the literature and Mm -hmm. self-assessment was just really something I stumbled stumbled upon um, while doing my research. And it's actually this evidence-centered design framework applied to game-based learning, which Mm -hmm. I thought was just fantastic <laughs> because um, it's essentially this method of assessing that's woven into the game mechanics and the game design. And it was coined by Dr. Valerie Shute out of um, Florida State University. Yeah. Uh, she's I think really the pioneering researcher in what she coins self assessment. Um, and she calls it that because you can actually assess learning without the learner ever knowing they're being assessed, which is pretty cool. So it's like stealth mode evaluation.
0: Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense why in a game-based learning context, you would want the assessment to be sort of incognito. Like you don't want people who are playing a game to be interrupted and reminded that actually this is sort of a formal learning experience and they're being assessed,
1: right? Like, Right. Exactly. And you know, that was actually the key thing that I think sold me on it was that you're able to assess learning without essentially disrupting flow or you know, getting the players out of the flow state. Mm-hmm. And if you know, you're familiar with, um, Mihai and the whole like flow theory, mm-hmm. uh, flow is really, in games the really the most optimal state that we want players to be able to reach which means you know they're fully engaged they're completely motivated and immersed in the gameplay and so you know i just just thought you know maintaining flow is super essential, I think, you know, just to keep them playing, keep them motivated. And if you can evaluate learning in the process, then what better way to assess?
0: Right. And also, um, maybe not just evaluate, but you don't want to interrupt the learning process itself. Like if it's a game-based learning, they should be learning as they're going. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, so you don't want to interrupt that process either to stop and assess them. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, So I again I don't know that much about this, but I also thought it was very interesting. Um, You said that there's sort of a controversial uh, history to what this stealth assessment sort of comes out of. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Oh, I I wouldn't say controversial. It's just a little surprising, which I thought was really cool and. Actually, pretty enlightening in a sense. Um, So, stealth assessment research, I think, started in the early 2000s, and really the foundation of it is based off of the Evidence Centered Design for Assessment framework. Um, And it actually turns out that ECD had, like, was originated and I think even like created by the Educational Testing Service. So, you know, that the company that uses or creates the GRE. Uh Um, and they had used it really to, um, to drive their adaptive testing within the like online assessment space.
0: So like if you're applying for college, no one does like the fill in the blank. I mean the fill in the bubbles anymore. It's mostly an online, um, Mm -hmm. assessment for the GRE or whatnot. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. The reason I thought it was controversial is because it's coming out <laughs> of the standardized test space. But I guess the GRE is a little different. I was thinking more like ACT and SAT, which, you know, mm-hmm. people have opinions about. <laughs> <if myself laughs> included. But, um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, that makes a lot of sense why it would come out of that because it is another form of incess- assess- adaptive assessment.
1: does that make sense? I'm not sure. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it's like, it's kind of cool to know that background just because it shows that, you know, as technology advances and modalities and applications advance, like the underlying mechanisms of measurement and research still kind of hold true and, and remain valid, which I think is really cool.
0: So I guess that leads me to the second part of our topic here, which is stealth assessment for immersive environments. So I can sort of see how this plays out in just a regular game, um, but how does this play out even more so in an immersive environment? Does it look the same? Is it
1: different? Are there different things to consider? Or Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say probably the underlying architecture remains the same, but maybe the triggers are a little different, Hmm. right? So, you know, similarly to game-based learning, learning in virtual reality or other sort of immersive environments, um, flow is still a very important factor, I would say. And then even more so a factor for immersive environments is immersion, Hmm. right? Um, So immersion is like really closely related to flow and that it's really this feeling of being totally absorbed by, by an activity. And um, I know that there's been research, like research in VR that suggests that interactivity and like interactivity within the virtual environment influences like a person's level of perceived presence Hmm. and both interactivity and presence both have a really strong influence on your sense of immersion. And so I would, I kind of feel that if self-assessment could similarly be woven into the fabric of virtual reality tasks, similarly to games, then learning can be, you know, measured also without breaking flow or immersion, which I think is really powerful specifically in the immersive space.
0: Especially because as you're saying, like that the point of virtual reality and XR, and there's a lot of research coming out that this immersion state that you get in, um, does a lot of interesting things for learning and for, for our brains. Right. Like, especially for things like empathy or like Mm -hmm. different things we're having that really like close, the second closest thing we can get to actually being there in person um, Mm -hmm. and going through it yourself as if it's something you're really experiencing yourself. Um, Yeah. That is so important to the selling point of VR. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. like, People who are using it like doctors or med students who are like, you know, you can't put them in a high stakes situation, but you can put them in this and then, you know, they can get some of their learning that way. So you don't want to interrupt that feeling of like, this is really happening and these are really my high stakes and I really need to make life or death decisions here by like stopping and being like, let me at give you a pop quiz. <laughs> like right in the middle of me like cutting open this virtual you <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> Please. It's like Zach Morris or like <laughs> Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, sorry, that was me thinking out loud about why this would be
1: important. Um no, and just to sort of build on that, another thing that's cool about self-assessment, and I know we talked about it in the sort of online adaptive testing, but in games and then also in virtual reality, it has that potential to fuel that adaptive learning mm. um, based off of really the evidence that, you, that the system collects based off of learners' actions that they've demonstrated in the virtual reality space, which is I think is really powerful.
0: Yeah. Now that you mention it, like people have been talking about adaptive learning for a long time. It feels like for a while, but actually you can't really have successful adaptive learning if you're not constantly assessing the person who's Mm -hmm. going through it. Right. Right. Unless there's like self-selecting, I guess that's another version of adaptive, like which module do you want to do now? But, um, yeah, if it's like real, the way we're thinking of how adaptive learning is going to evolve with like AI and things in the future,
1: you would have mm-hmm. to be constantly assessing
0: the learner to, yeah. to do
1: it. Huh. Absolutely. And, and you know, assessing accurately and having a very accurate depiction of a player or a learner's level of skill at any given point in time.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, so I think we've sort of, we've sort of already been talking a little bit about this, but what do you think are some of the benefits, or I think we've been talking about benefits mostly, but what do you (laughs) think are some of the benefits or drawbacks of using this type of assessment?
1: Sure. So, we can start with some drawbacks because okay. um, <laughs> I think it's it's really time consuming, I would say, and costly. Um, and then one of the other drawbacks that I had read in Dr. Shute's book was that da- it's actually really difficult to do retroactively. And so it's really optimal if you could design stealth assessment concurrently with the game design, mm. which I know isn't like always super possible, you know? So I think that's a pretty big drawback. Um, And a lot of time goes into creating self-assessment in and of itself. Um, Because it is this, like, evidence-centered design framework, that whole framework consists of multiple models within it. And Mm -hmm. I'll I'll just name, like, the really the three main ones, which are the competency model, the evidence model, and the task model. And each of these takes a lot of time to create and then also a lot of time to validate. I bet. yeah, and so uh, just to kind of do a brief overview of what those models are, the competency model—it really represents, um, you know, what you want to evaluate within um, within the, the game within the virtual reality space. It's you—it's know, sort of like what do you want to claim about the learner? What what skills or competencies uh, do you want to be able to assess and and claim that they have. And that model in and of itself, it kind of moves from the more abstract concepts like problem solving, right? Mm -hmm. To like really the more tangible. And so that model is pretty intricate. And then the evidence model, it really defines what qualifies as evidence Uh in your training. So how those competencies can then be measured with these observable things that you could see a learner do and then be able to assess it. Um, Because the evidence that you collect, you know, also... Feeds into the competency model through these statistical probability mm-hmm. relationships to be able to then say if we saw learners do these things, then we could pre- we predict yeah, that we they have this level of competency. Yeah, yeah. huh? That's so interesting yeah. because it's
0: just it's so interesting to me. I'm going to go on a little tangent right now, but yeah, what you're describing. And, and the amount of effort, like the teams of people probably that have to be involved Mm -hmm. in this and the amount of planning of like, through this experience, these are the places where we're going to be assessing. And these are the things we're assessing for. And this is the behavior we're looking for and all of that sounds like a lot for like designing a training or learning experience, but Mm -hmm. that's the exact thing that's happening in social media. That's the exact thing that's happening in consumer games. Like Mm -hmm. I know we talked about this briefly before, but like that call of duty is now assessing people and like, you know, when they realize somehow the algorithm realizes that you're getting tired and you're not playing as well, they're going to bump you down and put you in a different tier of players so that you can be successful again, so that you keep playing mm-hmm. longer. And it's like, if they yeah. can do that in call of duty, then it means it is possible. I think that's essentially what you're describing. Um, yeah, There are some target yeah. behaviors that they're assessing and it's all, it's all secretive. Yeah. <laughs> <So>, um, <laughs> Yeah. So I just see it is possible. It's just, the question always is how much time, how much money, how many resources mm-hmm. are people willing to throw at that type of problem, I guess.
1: Exactly. And, and you know, I definitely do think it takes um, like a cross-functional team, right? There's learning designers, there's developers, um, you know, this whole, element of prob- probabilities statistical probability we'll have data sciences and machine learning algorithms you know mm-hmm. and then even um with the whole adaptive learning piece um you'll need to build a system that has that sort of feedback loop right and so that where you can adaptively like present tasks um at a specific, you know, within the ZPD of, for the learner mm-hmm. based off of the, their, their level of competency at that time. And so it, I definitely would say it's a cross-functional team. For sure.
0: Well, anything <laughs> in VR and XR feels like it's in a cross-functional team anyway, <laughs> but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I guess we're talking like very, like, this is what a big team can achieve. Maybe uh, if they have the right time, money, resources, but if someone was thinking of experimenting or how might someone apply, maybe let's just focus on stealth assessment because maybe (laughs) in in immersive environments, we, we know that's like a big undertaking, but if you were trying to somehow implement stealth assessment in your own, you know, training or learning experience, Mm -hmm. what, what are some tips that you would give people?
1: Yeah, you know, I would actually say if you don't have the time or resources to integrate self assessment fully into your learning solutions, I would just say, like, stick to the fundamentals. You know, it's grounded in measurement research. And, you know, one of the things I think from learning more about self assessment and evidence centered design, I think, you know, I'm just a little bit more mindful now about, like, the, what and how learning is evaluated and really the importance of how you make claims based off of empirical evidence. Mm -hmm. And I think like that as sort of a design principle or an assessment principle is like really, I I would say it's a good, it's pretty good practice. Um, and then I guess even without the adaptive learning piece, I'd probably recommend going through an exercise of evidence-centered design alone and just creating a competency model, creating an evidence model, hmm. creating a task model. Um, it doesn't need to be fully fledged, but I think um, just going through that exercise could really bring focus on you know what needs to be learned, how it should be evaluated, and what tasks you can give a learner that would allow them to demonstrate evidence of that learning
0: yeah definitely that's a good place to start for sure (laughs) um yeah and it's funny because that's as as a teacher that all makes perfect sense to me it's sort of like the um understanding by design also sort of goes along those steps of like make sure you know what you're evaluating before you start designing your curriculum um yes good advice My last question, (laughs) we're going to get a little bit, like, prophetic, trying to envision the future.
1: Let's Let's do it. So
0: how do you think, or if you let your imagination wander, how do you think that stealth assessment might affect, or even in immersive environments, too? Either one. Either one or both. (laughs) Stealth assessment, immersive environments. What do you think that looks like in the future for learning?
1: Oh, um, for learning, I think, I think where it's really powerful is that, and we kind of touched on this earlier, is that it's really, it's potential to drive continuous adaptive learning. Um, and then I think just the fact that it could, provide pretty accurate depictions of what a learner's competency level is. Like, I think that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And it, it might not seem like it, but like accurate data is like really powerful. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. Um, I think also from a design perspective, it could really drive artificial intelligence within virtual reality environments. Mm-hmm. Um, really just in the form of, you know, interacting with the world or, you know, the virtual non-player characters and the things that they're saying, the dialogue or the tests that, um, you know, you're, you're now given or even the supports that are made available to you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, again, I'm going back to like this medical student as being my that's my <laughs> For right now that's who I imagine using VR like realistically right now in their training like medical people or maybe people in like uh technical jobs like you know like uh, electrician HVAC people mm-hmm. um because they they're very task oriented so I imagine that being um just continuing that development. And like you said, getting data and saying for sure that this person who passed their certification exam actually successfully hooked up, you know, (laughs) or, or, uh, successfully removed an artificial appendix and like, you know, or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, I see that being super beneficial that we can through this self stealth assessment can say for sure, like, yes, this person passed this and it makes sense, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just, I'm not getting more creative than that. I feel like I should be more creative, but (laughs) I can't think of anything right now. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I think it's going to be really cool. I mean, everything's evolving right now. XR is evolving so fast. Um, I think stealth assessment, adaptive learning, all of these algorithms that are in social media, I think it's all coming together, and I'm just really excited to see what happens in like the
1: next five to seven years. Me too. I'm I'm really excited. I feel like um, adaptive learning and really utilizing AI and machine learning for the LND space. You know, I think I think that's where we're headed, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see where, where where we go.
0: Me too. All right. Well. Anyway, I, I'm going to stay in touch. I, I love hearing uh, your thoughts on all of these things. And there's a couple of us, I think right now on LinkedIn are sort of into the XR stuff right now. And it's Mm -hmm. just, it's again, I'm super excited to see how it's all developing, but if um, listeners would like to connect with you to continue, if there's other enthusiasts out there, uh, where can people connect
1: with you and reach you? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Kristen Torrance and it's and Okay. <laughs> so Kristen Torrance on LinkedIn. And then I'm also Chris K R I S Torrance LXD on Twitter. Okay,
0: great. Well, thank you again so much, Kristen, for joining me.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This has been so fun.